happy Resurrection Day. Thank you, thank you. Another great Easter, the sad time of the year where things are starting to butt up through the ground. It's typically that time of year where I say, man, I got like a week or two to really make my backyard look good, pull all the weeds before it gets crazy, and then somewhere we're in the middle of May and all the weeds have grown in and I never did it. But um, I'm always amazed how quick April, May somehow happens. Like there seems like there's no growth now, and then it's just overnight you wake up and go, oh, I missed it again. Well, I was thinking about gardens um, as I'm thinking about preparing my own again this year. You know, gardens are amazing. Kim and I and the girls got to go to that flower garden this year in Hartford. Um, really nice. And there is beautiful gardens all over the world. There is, uh, typically when we think of garden, we kind of think of, uh, at least for me, like food gardens. But uh, there is vineyards that would be considered a garden that are absolutely gorgeous. And uh, there's flower gardens. There's flower gardens. Some, if you could just Google like the top 10 flower gardens in the world, they are absolutely amazing. Well, it's pretty amazing because people usually go to sit there and just admire beauty and they admire the growth of the plants and they admire the colors and maybe the smells. Would you ever think to put a tomb in a garden? It seems kind of contradictory, and yet I was reminded again uh, this Easter that in the book of John, in chapter 19 and verse 41, it says that his tomb was in a garden. And so there's different thoughts there that sometimes they say historically people might just want to walk around a beautiful garden and be reminded that life is kind of short. I'm not sure exactly what it was. And there's amazing things about that tomb where no one had ever been placed before and where it was and just further evidence. You know, just um, quickly I was reading, because there was no one ever laid there, because there was no other dead bodies there, I never even thought of it, but they say historically because there was other scripture that talked about dead bones making things come to life, that that could have been another excuse that they said Jesus Christ rise from the dead because it touched the bones of another great prophet or something like that. And we know, right, that how the, the garden was, it was almost impossible to have the disciples um, sneak in a back way to that tomb. They had to go right through that stone, which was guarded. There's just so many, so many T's crossed and I's dotted to prove that he really rose again. But I thought it amazing to think of a beautiful garden Yet there's a tomb in there. There's a tomb in the garden. The only reason we plant gardens is hopefully we'll see something come up. Something that we can maybe harvest. Either food, even flowers, grapes, things like this. Turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 12. Because as you think of the garden and things like that, you start to realize how much... The Lord actually talked about planting and harvesting and things of that nature. In John chapter 12, this is right after the triumphal entry. Okay, it's actually pretty interesting. Again, they're hanging out at Lazarus' house. 
Just to let you know again, you would think, man, what a miracle. Lazarus has been raised from the dead by Jesus Christ himself. And I tend to forget this verse. As soon as they see Lazarus, they want to kill Lazarus too. Because he's just proof. (laughs) The desperate wickedness of human nature. But we'll start in verse 23. It says, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people stood by and heard it, said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the fact that you have died and rose again. Lord, thank you for constantly using imagery that is um, plain and basic, that we might be able to understand such deep truths of who you are. Practically every culture and every time, people have grown stuff. Almost everyone understands the story of putting a seed in the ground and watering it and it producing a plant. And yet, Lord, this is how you would describe even your death and your resurrection. Thank you so much. May you be honored and glorified during this time. May your spirit control me. May we be built up. May we fall in love with you even more. May we leave a changed people that we would die to self. In your name, amen. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. You know, it's interesting, the science behind it all, I guess there's debate, does a seed ever really die or not? It's just kind of dormant. But there's interesting takes on it, and I think it really gives to the the value of what the Lord is trying to say. There was someone who wrote this, the truth is that in the process of a sprouting a seed, the truth is that in the process of sprouting, a seed must sacrifice itself or die in order to become a plant. This is because a seed is biologically similar to an egg. Just like an egg, a seed contains an embryo of living tissue. The remainder of the seed is designed to feed, protect, and sacrifice itself for this embryo. The seed doesn't turn into a plant but it's used up for the success and the survival of the embryo it carries. The most obvious feature of a seed is its outer shell. Seeds generally have an outer shell to carry the embryo and protect it from its environment. When conditions are right, the seed draws in moisture and breaks open this shell. Having served its purpose, the shell is discarded. Seeds generally store energy in the form of carbohydrates and fats. That is why many of the foods we eat are seeds, because they have bits of energy stored in them. When the seed sprouts, the embryo uses up this energy to reserve to get started. The embryo needs this bit of energy to send down a root for water, to send up leaves to gather light. The bit of energy within the seed is sacrificed in order to establish 
the new plant. In John 12, 24, Jesus compares his life to a seed of wheat. A seed of wheat must be sown into the earth to die to create a new plant, bearing more seed. This is the glorification of the humble seed, that in sacrificing its substance, it rises from the earth. In its death, the seed doesn't disappear, but multiplies itself many times over the world. Again, such a simple picture, something that we might do every single spring, is plant seeds. And yet, even as I try to talk about it in my classroom sometimes, as we're going over carbohydrates, I don't want to lose the awe of how little seeds turn into huge plants and multiply themselves, sometimes by a hundred, a thousand maybe. We cannot even grasp when those seeds fall how much more they produce. Jesus was telling us, I need to die so that many can have life. If we are to follow him in this, why should we die to self? If we truly are to follow the footsteps of the Savior, how are we to die to self? Why should we? Just in this small verse this morning, I want to show you two things that happened when Jesus died. One, he was glorified. Now again, what is glory? I like to define it as something that makes someone look good. It's fame. It's high honor given to someone. But look now at verse 28 where Jesus and the Father are having an interesting kind of dialogue. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus had a glory in him before the death of the cross. He was glorified in the life that he lived. The fact that he left heaven and became a man. The fact that he is the only man to have ever done it right and have never sinned. And not only on top of that, he did all the things that he was supposed to do. He learned the scriptures, even though he was the word of God himself. He did many miracles. He took care of the poor. He helped the sick. He did all these things. There was a glory about him before his death on the cross. We served a glorious Savior. And yet that's why it's interesting that God the Father says, I have glorified and will glorify it again. Jesus would actually say in John 17, Lord, again, Lord, be glorified. I have finished the work you have given me. And he hasn't died yet. It's a depth there I don't really understand. But I want, to, I want us to just take a second to try to think about the depth of what God the Father is saying. I have glorified you for who you are. That you became a man. I have glorified you for all the things you've done. I will glorify it again. Because you're about to die and then conquer and raise from the grave. And that is a glory that is far past what he already had. And I know that sounds irreverent. I'm not trying to take away any of the Lord's glory. But before the cross and resurrection, he already had a glory. And it got so much more when he could sit in the universe and say, I'm the one. I'm the one that can bring life out of death. I'm the one that can save people. 
There was no Savior before he was here. It was always looking ahead. And God the Father is more than happy to glorify him again and to raise him up and say at every knee that one day every knee will bow. I'm going to give him a position far above every other name. Why? He died and he rose again. There's a glory there that is just mind-boggling. There is such a, a, a... All I can say is depth to what happens when he rises from the grave on his own fruition. But the interesting thing here is we were talking about ourselves, right? If we want to follow his example, why should we die to self? Do you know that we're glorified too? Turning your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15, that infamous resurrection chapter. It is talking about all different kind of glories there, and I'm going to start in verse 42. So also there is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is raised. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. In verse 36, it says, Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. We have been sown with the human nature. And when we become Christians, we at His word and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that means there's a day coming where we are now reaped with a glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In Romans chapter 8, it says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. It's a weird theological concept. Because we want to be humble, and I get it. And I don't want any glory to myself. In fact, the Bible would say that. But at the same time, sometimes the pendulum swings too much. We just had three quick verses, and there's a lot more verses that talk about the fact that through His resurrection, He's glorifying us. Why do I say that? Because that is the reason we can die to self. He doesn't let it go undone. He actually glorifies us. And in us being glorified, there is scripture that will talk about the fact that He is glorified our greatest occupation to glorify the lord god himself somehow through 
us being glorified, it makes him look better. Makes him look better. And I have to say, there's a depth to it. If I speak in human terms, you know, when I was a teenager, maybe early in college, I looked pretty good. There might have been a little bit of a glory about me in human terms. But I'll tell you, after I got married, I got a lot more glorious. Because when Kim's on my left or my right, people look and go, oh, he got that girl. And I look better. We can't comprehend when either Jesus comes back to get us or when we die and we are in the presence of the Lord, what the new body, the new everything, when heaven awaits, how glorious we will be. (laughs) We don't look good really at all right now, except for the fact that we do because we are children of God. And all the greatness of our position in Christ, we go, man, He's given us life and and love and and joy unspeakable. And yet that is nothing compared to what awaits. And we will have a deeper glory about us all through what he has done. Jesus in this has saved the world. If we go back to John, not only did Jesus get glorified by dying, but in verse 24 again, it says, but if it dies, it produces much grain. Much grain. Jesus and his death that we have talked about before. What I mean, can anyone put a number on the souls that have been saved through his death, burial, and resurrection? I don't know how many people will be in heaven. I mean, maybe the Lord won't come back for another thousand, two thousand years. Maybe seven billion people on a planet will look like such a small number. Maybe eventually there's a hundred billion people on the planet. Who knows? And how many souls? I know that every single one of them has opportunity. I want you to think of just the power of that seed. I try to talk about this in my school. You know, just one little kernel of corn that you plant in the ground shoots up a huge corn stalk. And then there's ears of corn. And on every single ear, how many kernels are now there? And what is actually inside that one kernel of corn that it can reproduce so much? It's, it's indescribable, but I, I know it's powerful. I know it's powerful. We just take it for granted because all we see is little dried up pieces of corn. But it's amazing to me that a little corn just like this grows up into a huge stalk with tons of ears of corn. And from there, they can drop. And now again, we have tons of corn everywhere. Jesus Christ dies, and every single human that has ever walked this earth has the ability to now live forever. It's amazing. There is so much that he has produced. So much. 
Why should we follow in his footsteps? Because of who he is. Because when we believe on him and believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of who he is, we now, for the first time, can produce. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Now we can have God do a work in us. In John 15, 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. That's why we die. That's why we die to self. So we bear much fruit. I just don't feel like a lot of us want to talk about dying anymore. You want your life to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you got to die. You want success? You want a great marriage? You want a great family? You have to die. You want multiple generations, your kids and your grandkids following the Lord, doing great things for the kingdom? You have to die. That's the calling. You want to do great things for the kingdom of heaven, that you might have tons of crowns to lay at his feet? You have to die. A daily death. That's what the resurrection is. That's what the cross is. Jesus said, pick up your own cross, follow me. You really want this life, you have to die. That's how you produce. That's how you are later on made to be look good. That's what Jesus says right here. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. You hate your life, you'll gain it. The Christian walk this Easter is about us dying, dying with him. Instead of holding on to ourselves and what we want, we are called to die. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to. I know that doesn't sound right. It's not the spiritual answer. But sometimes it's easy to get pumped up on a Sunday morning, especially Easter. I don't want to die at all. I like to live. There's something innate and about us, the way he's made us to want to live, which is great. But the problem is we also have that sin nature that wants to live, live, live. So I want to just encourage us with the things we already know today. Why can I trust Jesus in my death? We're always talking about trusting Jesus with your life, which is true. We never talk about trusting Him in our death. And yes, when we physically die, we trust Him. That's our faith. We will not go to hell. We will go to heaven. But can we trust Him in our daily dying to self? If you've ever been at that part of a relationship, maybe in marriage or with a best friend, and something is misinterpreted, and, and the conversation goes something like this, you just have to trust me, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> and the other person is still offended. And all it takes is a change of mind. You just have to go, you know what? The person loves me. They said they didn't mean it that way. I'm completely offended. But at some point, I make a choice. I have to trust them that they weren't trying to hurt me. Why is Jesus so trustworthy? 
if we're going to sit there on a daily basis and go, Lord, I'm the calling is for me to die every day. Every day I have to die. Can I trust you with that? Can I, can I really put my life in your hands? What if I miss out? What if there's certain things I never get to do? What if I never get recognized for dying? What if in the midst of me dying to self, the world hates me more? I'm doing it right and the world is crashing on me. Can I trust you in my death? Dying every day for you. We serve a risen Savior. We not only have someone that we can just listen to and say, yeah, you can trust me, but Jesus Christ has the ability to go, I died for you and I came out on top. That's why you can trust me. I was separated from my father. You have no idea what I went through. You can trust me. I've been through it. I died alone and I rose from the dead. You can do it. The second reason is because what his father did when he died. He glorified him and he gave him a name above all of the names. And God basically gave him everything. I'm going to put all your enemies on your feet. I give you everything. God the Father did that for his son. God the Father said, you have done an amazing thing. No one is like you. And we have talked about this morning. Jesus is looking at us saying, you die to self. You humble yourself. Trust me, it doesn't go unnoticed. And if you can trust me, even if you don't see it down here, your rewards eternally, you can't even comprehend. But I need you to trust me. Finally, the reason we should die to self is not only because the risen Savior has done it and come out and that God has exalted Him for it and it can be a pattern for us. This is one of the few ways we can actually prove to Him that we do love Him and trust Him. When you die to self on a daily basis, it's your romance to your Savior. It's you saying, that's right. Everything about me, I'm putting into your hands. That's how much I'm banking on your love and your faithfulness to me. I'm going to die every day for you. What else are we going to give him? What else can we give him? This is our opportunity to say, yes, I do trust you. Let me close with this verse. In 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse of that chapter. The whole chapter is filled with the resurrection and the power of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. 
And it starts like this, therefore, you can basically put the whole chapter before therefore. My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much that we can really trust you. Lord, it is scary to die to self, and yet you could not be a better example of someone who's been there and gone through it. Lord, again, we are absolutely amazed that they did not kill you on the cross, but that you let go of your life. You just took all of it, all the wrath, becoming sin, all the physical pain, all the embarrassment, all those things you just did until the time was right where God the Father was satisfied and then you gave up the ghost. And again, words cannot describe nor even imagine. Maybe we will learn more of this depth in heaven of all that went on those three days. But what we do know is that today I am talking to Jesus Christ, the living God. That you are not in a tomb. That you are not some old prophet from way long ago to help us live nice. That you are alive forevermore. And because you are alive, I can die. And I can put my life and trust in your hands. Thank you so much. That I don't feel like I am uh, getting shortchanged by putting my life in your hands. You are altogether lovely. In your name, amen.